Welcome. You're listening to the Consensus State Change Podcast, an interview series inspired by the emerging decentralization phenomenon. Today on State Change, Jared Pereira discusses his Universal Education Project. Thanks for joining me, Jared. Glad to be here. So, can you give us a rundown of your uh, of the idea, how you found yourself here, how you developed it, all of that good stuff? Okay, I think I'll start with the idea and what we're sort of aiming to do, which is basically to. So it's pretty self-explanatory. We want a universal education system that anyone can participate in and get meaningful credentials from. That's really the foundation of the system. We want anyone to be able to learn however they want, do whatever they want, and at the end of the day, get a meaningful credential for it that they can operate on in any given scenario. How do you do that? And I mean, how do you achieve the, the trust and the recognition in a, a strange new credential system that is presumably very different to what we use today. Yeah, so the idea is that, well, so traditional assessment systems that really came up from the sort of resource needs of the new economies. We needed tests that we could deploy to like hundreds of people at a time and get, that's why we have, you know, really large standardized exams, all sorts of things like that. So you can make one test, give it to everybody and have a way to compare them and work with that. And that's a really resource intensive way to do it, but it gives you a strong credential that isn't necessarily very very flexible. But if you look at sort of the broad idea of credentialing, before we arrived at that point, we had basically just social contacts. When you wanted to prove a skill to me, you would just talk to me and provide evidence and there'd be a social understanding of, yeah, this is the thing you can do. And you'd have a reputation within our community or things like that. So the idea of what we're trying to do is leverage that same social interaction that verifies a person's skills and put it into a codified, secure manner on the blockchain that lets you still interact in that social manner and gives you all the flexibility of the social scenarios, but gives you all the security of a protocol and a formalized assessment method. So I can go into more detail on the protocol itself and that might help. So basically what we're doing is when anyone wants to get assessed in a particular area, we call individuals randomly who have previously been favorably assessed in that exact same area or something related to it. And they each individually provide an assessment. They give a score or, yeah, a score basically ranging from negative 100 to 100 on whether or not this person can actually do what these people have been previously proven to do and they want to prove that they can do. And then we compare all those scores and we essentially reward people for giving the same answer. So if everyone gives an 80, everyone gets a reward. If one person gives a negative 10, they actually get punished. So that requires numerous assessments of a single individual's performance. Every individual is getting assessed independently multiple times. So is in that sense, you are actually, it is quite resource intensive. But the burden of that resource isn't on any single party. It's on individuals who can afford to, who are basically saying, I will give my time 
in the hopes that I will get this reward. And because... So they're incentivized to conduct that assessment because if they agree with other people who have also assessed this individual, then that feeds back and strengthens their own, uh, their own uh, credentials. Yeah, it strengthens their own credentials because the more individuals who have a credential, the more weight it carries in a community. And it also, they're actually getting like a token financial reward. They get paid out for being a good assessor. Okay, so there's an economic element. Exactly. There's the social element of I want to strengthen the uh, consensus around these ideas and these credentials, and I want to actually get an economic reward out of it. And just so I'm clear on this, and also the fact that they agree with, uh, that other people agree with their assessment of this individual improves their own personal credentials no it just improves their financial their economic reward so how does that so how does can you talk about the punishment and reward mechanism again yeah so basically so you when you start a an assessment process you put down a stake of tokens you say i have to i'm betting this much that i will be a good assessor and then you go through the entire assessment process, which is basically just a conversation with the assessee. You can ask them for whatever. You can give them a test. You can do anything that you think is within the resources you are willing to expend to get a good answer from them. And then you give your score. And then once you've given your score, that score is compared to all the other assessors who have all gone through this process themselves. And then if they're close together, we, you get your stake back plus some additional uh, an additional reward that the uh, assessee has paid. This, okay, so this is beginning to make sense. How this, there's a chicken and egg problem here, both with the uh, the the pool of assessors to yeah. begin with, but also with the value of the token. So how do you address those, those two problems of, uh, of origination? Right? So with the pool of the assessors in two ways. Um, the problem sort of emerges in two ways as well. At the start of the system, when there's nobody there, it's basically up to the first usual user, being either myself or someone I choose. And they basically designate someone and say, this person, I trust that Arthur's good at reviewing this, and I'm just going to give you that. And then you act as this sort of seed for that. And the reason we can have seeds is because you're not always looking at only the specific pool for an assessment. So we have a hierarchical ontology defining every assessment. So when you get assessed in multivariable calculus, you're getting assessed in... That's not going to be me, by the way. (laughs) You're getting assessed in uh, a concept, multivariable calculus, that is a child of the calculus concept. And the calculus concept is a child of the math concept. So if there's no one in the multivariable calculus pool or there aren't enough people, we move up to the calculus pool and we can pull from there. And if there's no one in the calculus pool, we can move up to the math pool. And if there's no one in the math pool, we can move up to the system-wide pool. And because of the incentive and the fact that you have to put down a stake, no one's actually going to accept an assessment that they don't think they can, act, they can be a good assessor for. So the idea is that eventually a pool will emerge, a pool of assessors will emerge, and they will be subject to an ongoing penalty if they have assessed strangely or in a weird way. So people aren't going to want to touch it unless they're confident that at the end of the day, that that pool of assessors is going to agree with them. Exactly. So we can actually pull from a super general pool. We could in fact pull all our assessors randomly and no one would accept it unless they 
we're good at math. So we have a, a weak way of getting secure assessors. And then over time, as we actually get more people who have been verified as being good at math, calculus, multivariable calculus, we can get super specific assessors. And because of that relational structure, the system can grow sideways. So as soon as we have people assessed in specific things, they're so when you actually get verified for multivariable calculus, you're also entered in the calculus pool and you're also in the math pool. Okay, right, because the assumption is that yeah. you had to go through those. Together. Exactly, and they're not s- separate skills. They're encompassing. Calculus is a uh, member of math. And so y- you have a sort of weaker stake in each pool as you go up the tree. So that's the assessor, uh, the, the origination of assessors. Yeah. What about the origination of value in the token? Okay. So one, the token has intrinsic value because you can, you're, uh, you're essentially paying for assessor's time. So that's sort of a inbuilt value system. You can leverage all the mechanisms of the system to get a credential. And that process takes a fixed amount of time. Like uh, when you, how can I explain this? So when you initiate an assessment, you're paying a token. And that, or not a token, you're paying a certain amount of tokens based on the number of assessors you want. And that sort of process adds value to your token because you can only pay for that process with these tokens. You can't like pay with Ether or any other random token. And the only way to earn these tokens is to be an assessor. So automatically there we have a sort of value cycle where people to engage in that process need to spend tokens and need to earn tokens. They need to be an assessor. However, it still doesn't answer the fact, like, why would anyone do this in the first place? And so there are two ways we're going about addressing this. The first is integrating it with sort of traditional credential things. Have ways for these credentials to lead into jobs, to, uh, you know, lead to more opportunities or anything like that. The things you do with normal learning credentials. The second, and I think far more interesting way, is to, because these credentials are generated in a decentralized manner, we can use them in decentralized systems. So for example, you could create a group learning platform that says, I want to enter into a staked learning environment with people who have these skills to learn these skills, essentially approximating a classroom, but in a completely decentralized manner. And you can use these credentials to do that. And so the credential automatically has value because you can use it to engage in a social situation with somebody. How do the tokens get minted? So there's an inflation rate built into the assessment process. So every time someone's going through an assessment and depending on how many tokens were initiated the assessment, there's an inflation rate on, they get, uh, if the assessors do well, they get paid out slightly more than was put into the system. So it's uh, very like, I haven't quite figured out the math behind the uh, inflation rate yet, but it's a very, it's based directly on the activity going on in the system. And because it's only, it's linked to payout, and payout only happens when assessors are doing well. It only grows when assessors are actually doing their job right. Okay. It's a lot to wrap your head around in, like, one, one yeah. big, big whack. Um, but that's awesome. So how did you come up with this whole... Uh, how, did, how did this whole idea kind of uh, achieve its genesis? So I basically... I started in a place from, from really a very educational standpoint, from how can we design better educational systems to better address everyone's educational needs. So the idea was, uh, from the start, it was trying to be universal. It was the value of education is really in the sort of 
interactions it allows you to have. And so the best education system is one that everyone can interact with everyone else. In. The network benefits there are huge. And we don't currently have that in our education system. We have approximations of it, where if you're in the same national system, you can sort of interact with everyone, but you don't really have the freedom to fully do what you choose to do. And there are just tons of issues at pretty much every level of the educational spectrum, from like colleges to kindergartens, the whole way through. And I sort of had a nice view of that when I used to live in Kenya, because you would get these really expensive international schools and these uh, sort of, you know, local, even slum schools that are at completely opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of the money being put into them and the quality of the institution, but had not necessarily the same, but had these fundamental issues in how they were doing things that limited the possibilities of the students in both. And I'm not saying that the education quality was equivalent or anything close to that, but there was the same underlying issues that were limiting what students could do and where they could go from that. So I was coming from a place for how can we address these systematic flaws in education. And from there, what we essentially got to was a peer-to-peer -peer system. Because a peer-to-peer -peer system allows you to leverage all sorts of freedoms. When you don't have to depend on a centralized institution, you can just build the connections yourself to do what you want to do. When I say I want to learn this subject, I can just enter this peer-to-peer -peer system and be put into a group to learn this subject. When I say I want to define my coursework like this, I can define it like this and go through it however I want to because it's not dependent on a centralized institution. So peer-to-peer -peer learning, we thought, was the way to do it, the way to have a system that allows anyone to learn what they want to do. How did the current... Uh, and I, I don't... The word system is a bit... Maybe climate. Okay. How, did the, how did the current climate of, uh, of assessment develop historically do you i mean do, do you have a view on that because it seems like there are some you've identified similar problems across the entire spectrum of education um in you know both developed and developing nations and even in you know fancy schools in a developing nation and slum schools yeah right? so why have these same problems cropped up in these such vastly different environments I believe that the problem is fundamentally in assessments. It's in assessments and in credentializing. Because the point of an assessment is to be able to communicate someone's skills. And that's really why, more than anything, I think we have institutionalized education. Because we needed a way to be able to measure and then communicate everyone's skills to a base level to interact so that they could interact on a larger playing field. So previously, before we had institutionalized education, people were in local communities. And like I said before, in a local community, you can build trust organically. You can just talk to your peers and you know what everyone's skills is. You know who to go to. You know who people are. But when sort of the industrial era came along and we sort of exploded into these cities, and there's a couple really good videos on how the industrial era prompted the Prussian educational model that we still have today. But it's basically we need a way to... Have make sure everyone has a baseline of education and to know that they have it. And so our assessment models really, and our assessment and our schooling models really follow this factory line of have this blanket thing and offer it to everybody, and that'll get us huge gains in efficiency, 
but it sacrifices the flexibility that previously existed. So we want to be able to ensure that everyone has this level of math, reading, and writing ability, and so we create a standard for it. And because we create a standard for it, we can have these hugely efficient institutions where we just push everyone through. They come out with the skills and the way to measure them, but they lose the freedom they could have had along the way to diversify. So it seems like we've taken the... It seems like this is, in a sense, industrialized education that you're yeah. talking about. and that's really what institutions do. Because an institution can't afford to cater to the potential diversity of educational experiences. Precious right? snowflakes. Yeah, you can't do that. It's um, As an institution, you can't afford the learning resources, the teachers. In that model of education, it's simply impossible. You can't do it. It would be too expensive. It, would, it doesn't make sense at any level, really. Except at, like, when you can afford to hire your child private tutors and still have them do the exams or whatever. This seems like it's a bit of a return to the apprenticeship model where you have a, uh, a single or, you, or multiple uh, educators and then a, a kind of a peer-to-peer -peer or a cultural agreement on the quality of, a, of an individual's work and the ability to perform a certain task. So in some ways, yeah, it's, it's lever leveraging those same social relationships that made that model work. There's a trust in the apprentice and the master, and there's a trust in the guild, and there's all those connections that everyone has a trust in these individuals rather than these institutions. But on a more fundamental level, what's really happening is we're decoupling, we're decoupling efficient and scalable assessments from education. So when institutions came up, they're doing two things. They're educating people and they're assessing people. And there's actually a conflict of interest there as exactly. well. Exactly. There's a conflict of interest where... How, how can the people who are doing the uh, teaching be assessing the effect, efficacy of the teaching? It doesn't make sense. They're motivated to not do that. And they're motivated to morph the uh, assessment processes to best match their teaching, and they're motivated to morph their teaching to best match the assessment processes. Which is a total mess. Exactly. And you, it, it shows, especially in the huge standardized um, assessments, the AP exams, the uh, SATs. Yeah, and, and to a certain extent in the newer Model 2 and the IB systems, but I'm sort of a fan of IB, so I'll let that slide. But yeah, so what we're really doing is we're breaking that divide. We're having all the advantages of uh, flexible but large-scale and secure assessment systems. So an assessment system that can really scale to everybody, that anyone in the world can use, and the system can manage that load but without being tied to any specific form of assessment or any specific like uh, factory line model. And then anyone can learn however they want to. If they learn best through a apprentice-master relationship, they can do that. If they learn best by locking themselves in a room and like studying for books and carpentry for like two years, they can do that. And they still get assessed the same way. And by that decoupling, we basically allow for this flourishing of educational opportunities people can do what they want and they in doing what they want they come up with the most optimal skill set so you said you uh you were influenced by your experience in kenya yeah what's your background and how did you develop this uh i guess i, I don't want to use the i don't want to use the word expertise right <laughs> but um 
because how would I how would I know how to assess that? But uh, but how yeah how did you how did you find yourself working on this problem? So I really started thinking about this in about my junior year of high school, which was just two or three years ago, and it arose from the same the just from an observation of the universality of the problem. I was interacting with a lot of different environments at the time. I was moving around schools a bit, and uh, I could see a pervasiveness of there's something, you know, that doesn't really make sense here and isn't efficient for the world we have today. Because I've always been a self-directed learner, and so I learn separate from the school environment I'm in. And I could see the advantages of that model and of the way I could go about things and the way my peers were going about things absolutely not reflected in the way school was structured. The potential I saw in the students around me, the students in my own school, the students in the local schools, the students I've interacted with in other schools was completely just moved aside by the structures of the educational system I was interacting in. And so it was sort of a very knee-jerk reaction of, of course, we have to be able to do something better. And that prompted sort of just a long time of iterating over different models and trying to study how these models came up and why they are formed the way. It took me a while to arrive at assessments as the core of the issue because my coming into the scenario was in terms of learning experience. It was this learning experience isn't up to scratch. I'm not learning the way I want to. Why is that? And from there I got, I'm not learning the way I want to because the school can't support everyone learning the way. Why can't the school support learning the way they want to? Because they have to assess people in a standardized way. They can only assess so many things and then assessments. And once I arrived at assessments, it was really figuring out, you know, what makes a good assessment? What makes these valuable? And how can we have the flexibility to assess anything and still the rigidity to have a valuable credential at the end of the day? And so it was just sort of a journey from being in an educational context and sort of breaking down that context into its core elements through conversations with educators, with my peers, through research online, and then figuring out, you know, what are the fundamental attributes of this infrastructure that make it the way it is, and how could we change those fundamental atomic uh, pieces to make a better infrastructure, make something that I wish I could have had then and that would, you know, change the educational experience from the bottom up. Yeah, that was the journey. Hey, this has been absolutely enlightening. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining me, Jared, thanks and uh, me. I look forward to seeing how this evolves. Cool. Thanks for listening to State Change. Check out consensusmedia.net for more. Thank you.